to show from God's word where our comfort lies, and then even to share my own experience of how God has graciously kept his promise to me as a disciple. So first, we look at the costs of discipleship as we look at Mark 10, verse 28 through 31. And to get the full context of it, we need to expand our reading backward a little bit to Mark 10, 17 through 25, as we see the encounter Jesus has with the rich young ruler. It's quite a famous story in Scripture. The rich young ruler was a a religious celebrity of his day. He was like a Tim Tebow or a Carrie Underwood or a Chris Pratt. He had youth and wealth and fame, and he was well-known as a moral person. He attended the synagogue. He gave of his money generously. He was known by many as a well-meaning and influential person. So when he steps up to talk with Jesus, maybe you can imagine the group of disciples and the crowd around have a hush fall on them as the young ruler is coming. And maybe the disciples got excited that this young ruler is coming to Jesus, and if he joins our team, what influence he could have for the cause of Christ. How he could spread the fame of Christ, and how he could give us more comfort in our standing in society. But as you know, or you can read from verses 17 through 25, this rich young ruler does not leave the encounter with Jesus satisfied. He came to Jesus seeking salvation to be comforted that what he was doing was good enough for God. He says, Lord, what good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he leaves sad in choosing his possessions over becoming a disciple of Christ. And so as he walks away, Jesus turns to his disciples and issues a warning about the difficulty of riches. And he asks them to consider where their comfort is. So friends, I want to ask you to consider today, where is your comfort? Is your comfort in your stable income level? Is it in your social capital? Are you having comfort in your close family ties nearby? All of these things are wonderful blessings from God, but they are woeful comforts. Jesus warns his disciples, any comfort that you have other than him is a snare that may keep you from fully embracing discipleship, and it may even keep you from the eternal life you seek and that God promises you. Because discipleship is rigorous, and it demands your total allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, for anyone who would follow Jesus, he warns us against misplaced comforts. He tells us discipleship is costly. If you're to go and follow after Jesus, you need to seek your comforts in the right place. And so discipleship is first a call to forsake all other comforts of earthly relations like family and friends and even earthly possessions like homes and land. So the first thing we see is that the cost of discipleship is very high. Jesus spoke of leaving family. In Mark 10, verse 29, he says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or fathers or children for my sake in the gospel who fares, fails to inherit 100-fold in this life and the next. And there's a wonderful promise there we're going to get to, but let's focus on the cost at first because here he's saying and assuming And we know from the scripture's account that there were disciples who had left mother and father and brother 
and sister for the sake of the gospel. It had been very costly. Even Jesus himself, in his incarnation, humbled himself, left his Father's side to come and to win us. But he had even, in a way, left his earthly mother and father to do the will of God. Earlier in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35, we have this account where Jesus was teaching about his exclusivity of salvation and the hope that he is to the world. And his mother and his brothers came and were standing outside and they called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat about him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus had left his family of origin to do the work of God. And I'm not suggesting that you always have to leave mom and dad to do the work of God. Normally, family is a blessing from God. It's a blessing to have mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And caring for your family is a call of discipleship. Jesus says just earlier in Mark chapter 10 in verse 8, that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So it's a normal creational mandate that man and woman should grow up, should mature, should marry, and start their own families. That's an obedience to God. But there are times, aren't there, where even your own family may turn against you as a disciple of Christ. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew Chapter 10, verse 34 through 36, where he says, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Sometimes the greatest cost of discipleship is imposed by our own families. You know, it's a great blessing to have a believing family. If you have a father and mother who instruct you in the ways of the Lord, who know Christ, who walk with you in Christ, rejoice and be grateful for the gift of God. But there are some of us who do not know this, who instead know the pain that it is to lose family connections for the cause of Christ. To have family members who look down on you for your backward religious views and social stances. Do you know the pain of losing family for Christ and for his gospel? I've lost connections with family because of Christ. I have those who have expressed disdain and disappointment with me for the way that I've chosen to live my life. That I would live it promoting such a backward religious philosophy and imposing such backward views on others. Have you been forsaken by family? Jesus Christ must be your greater comfort even than family. He says in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And man, as a parent, this next verse really strikes me and hurts. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus and his gospel must be treasured by us more than our family. 
Jesus also speaks of the cost of discipleship, of leaving earthly possessions. He speaks of leaving houses and lands as well in verse 29. Leaving children or farms for my sake and the gospel's sake. And maybe Jesus would call you to leave property. Man, it's been hard to list our home for sale. We love that house. We've only been in it one year. It's hard to give it up. But there are many examples of Christian disciples leaving homes and property to follow Christ. Take, for example, Barnabas from Acts 4, 36 and 37, who says, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then in Acts 2.45, we're told the early disciples of Christ began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone would have need. The disciples often sold their possessions and opened their homes to others. Acts 2.46 reports the disciples broke bread from house day by day together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. This was one of those uh, verses that we had hanging above our family dining room. And I know that it's been a long time with restrictions of who you may have in your home and uh, masking and social distancing, but when was the last time that you were hospitable and had someone in your home for fellowship? It's, it's preached from this pulpit by Pastor Phil and by many, but hospitality is a priority of a Christian disciple. We've made it a priority for our family and can attest to you that it is costly. It costs money to prepare meals, to purchase the food. It costs time to prepare it and to clean your home. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but at least enough for people to come over. And it's costly of time to clean up after people have left and have destroyed your home. <laughs> it's also costly uh, particularly for like introverts, like my wife, who get their energy by being alone and yet are drained by a crowd. But hospitality and charity are marks of a Christian disciple. And even more than just prioritizing Jesus over our family or our possessions, discipleship calls us to be radically willing to forsake anything that is necessary to embrace Jesus and to obey him. A few years ago, I was on campus at Rowan. I was speaking with students about Jesus, and this wasn't an RUF event. I was just standing on the quad out there in front of the library, and I was speaking with a student I'd spoken with before, and he hadn't yet come to Christ, but he was approaching me again. He was telling me how he had been attending an evangelical church, and he really enjoyed the church. He loved the community there. He loved the fellowship. He loved the way that people cared for him. He even liked the way the preacher would tell people to do good stuff and to help other people out. He liked the ethos of it. He was a philosophy major, so he liked to use words like ethos. So as we talked, I said, well, what's keeping you from coming to Christ? He got real quiet for a minute, and he finally admitted, he said, well, I have a hard time with Jesus' commands. You see, I'm bisexual. And I just can't believe that Jesus would command me to go against my nature. So I took a deep breath. I prayed quickly and I spoke with him and I said, you know, the thing is the promises of God are far greater than anything that we give up. 
And the call of Christ is not just to receive him as your savior, to absolve you from guilt, but also to follow him as your Lord, as he is the perfect righteous one of God. And he listened to me. He said, I just can't. And he turned away and walked away sad. It took me a minute. I stood there slack-jawed, and I realized this young man had just had a rich young ruler experience. He wanted all of the blessings of Christ, but he did not want to obey Christ. The rich young ruler's controlling idol was his wealth, but for this young man, it was his sexual identity. But brothers and sisters, what is it that's holding you back from embracing Christ as Lord and a deeper obedience to him? Now, for many of us, I suspect it's unbelief. And it's not an unbelief that God exists or that Jesus died for your sins, but I think it's an unbelief that Jesus is sufficient for all of your life's needs. An unbelief that he's enough, that his promises are better than the, what the world can offer with his wealth and experiences and opportunity. Or an unbelief that he's better than what your flesh can offer you with instant gratification. So after Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler and his explanation to his followers, Peter is shook by unbelief. He's astounded is what Jesus told them. If this moral, rich person cannot be saved, then who can? And what happens to us who have left everything to follow you? What promise is there for us? See, Peter is guilty of what many people in our day do, wondering what do we have to give up and is it worth it? So we've discovered that the cost of discipleship can certainly be great. For some, it's more than others. And for some, the cost is too high and they fall away. But remember, Jesus Christ bore the cost of your discipleship in himself. He humbled himself to become human like you. He obeyed in your place. He bore your failures in his body on the cross. He was rejected by his father. He was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his friends so that you could be received as a child of God and have eternal rewards. For all who are wearing, willing to bear the cost of being his disciple, Jesus promises you will receive far greater rewards, both in this life and in eternity, than any that you give up. So here's the plea for us to embrace discipleship, to count the cost, but to count the blessings all the more. It's all worth it. And Jesus shows us the greatness of his promise in answering his disciples' question. First of all, it's gracious that he doesn't just rebuke Peter for such a pathetic question, but he listens to his doubts and he answers him. The disciples in the crowd had watched eagerly as that famous young ruler approached Jesus, hoping that he would join their team and they would join in influence, and now they're crushed as he walks away. And so Peter asks, is it worth it? Now, Peter had given up a lucrative fishing business. He jumped out of his father's boat and swam to the shore when Jesus had called him. He had done some crazy stuff. Is it worth it? What reward should he expect? What comfort can we have when following you costs so much? And so we've looked at the ledger of what it costs. Now let's look at the ledger of what the rewards are. What comfort do we get? Well, you may not be called to leave your father or mother or brother or sister, or even your lands 
for Christ and his gospel. But you are called to consider where God is calling you and entrusting your comforts to God's gracious provision. God may be calling you to serve on the hospitality team of Mercy Hill to help set up communion or to help serve meals or to help set things up. I heard just this morning there's a need for that. Maybe God's calling you even now. God may be calling you to serve in your neighborhood or in this church in a way that is outside your comfort zone, but God will equip you for that service. God may be calling you to speak the message of God's grace and repentance of sin to family or friends who are tempted or are living in sin. God is calling you to forsake that sin or that grudge or that laziness that you've been harboring in your flesh and instead to trust Christ to be sufficient for you, that he's sufficient to take away your pain, that he's sufficient to take away your anger, that he is sufficient to be your justice. One thing God is not calling you to do is to withhold your obedience to him in exchange for the comforts of family or home or social approval. The rich young ruler went away sad because he couldn't give up his comforts to obey God's call. But by contrast, the disciples are promised as they've left everything to follow him, so they will receive in this life and the next multitude of blessings of family, of homes, and of approval by God. So Jesus is telling us here, the greatest bond of family is not your flesh and blood, but water and the Spirit. It's not whom you're born to, but to whom you've been reborn into by faith. So here we see the comforts of discipleship. For everyone who follows Jesus, there's a promise of a greater reward that is given as a gracious gift. And because of this gift, we enjoy it and we walk in obedience to our Lord. We're given these eternal relations, a hundredfold blessing in this time of brothers and sisters and mother and children. And Jesus promises disciples, no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or farms for my sake in the Gospels fails to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. Now this isn't a prosperity gospel sermon that you get good things for your service to Christ. These are things he gives you by his grace to remind you that his promise is true, that his intercession is sufficient, and that he is guiding and leading you. It's comfort for all who are following Christ. As my illustration is my own life, you know, Julie and I came to New Jersey 12 years ago. Actually, when we first moved, it was September 1st, 2009. We didn't get married until September 12th. We came following God's call. I was to be the youth minister at Covenant Presbyterian in Cherry Hill. And when we took that call, we left family in Florida. We left property. We left friends. We were coming to a place. I'd never been to New Jersey before. If you'd asked me before, I might have stuck it up somewhere near Boston on a map. I didn't know where it was, but we were following God's call. And we were blessed by hospitality and by care. I was blessed very quickly to meet Pastor Phil. And he took me under his wing as a young licentiate minister. He's taught me 
so many things, not just about ministry, about marriage, about fatherhood, about life. He's held my hand through some difficult situations. He's chided me as necessary as a father. He's encouraged me and comforted me. Phil and Polly have been a great blessing to Julie and I, a sure sign of God's promise. Think of Adam and Nicole Moore. Even as we know, Nicole and Julie are away in Texas on a trip, and Nicole's friendship to Julie, many of the women's in this church friendship to Julie has been treasured and important, but honestly, Nicole's has been very dear for her. And your friendship to our family is so important. And Eli's friendship with Eben is greatly treasured. I know they were on uh, iMessage at 7.30 yesterday morning. 7.30 on a Saturday. What a blessing it is to have you in our life. And John and Lauren Campbell and your hospitality and your friendship and Liam's friendship with Eben. John, I'm going to miss sitting outside Tiger Kang and... uh, talking around, not, not having the awkwardness of, i got to talk to one of these karate moms, I guess. I don't know. We're going to miss our family fellowship group and our times gathering together and praying together and encouraging each other. Will and Sarah Bausch have been amazing to us. Sarah is the best matchmaker in the world, apparently. She matched Will's brother with Julie's sister, And so Will is the brother of my brother-in-law, which legally makes us nothing. But in Christ, we're brothers. He's always treated me as a brother, save for the noogies and the hazing. Um, They've invited us into their home as family on holidays. Even I called Will up this week and said, man, I got this heavy couch. I need help. He came right over and helped me out. Jeremiah and Lydia, um, I met Jeremiah and Lydia when they were freshmen in high school, and it's been a blessing to walk with them in their growth in Christ. So they graduated high school separately, went off to college through many trials, snares. God brought them together, they have this beautiful family following and serving the Lord. Such a blessing to see. That's the goal of ministry, is to see mature families created in Christ. I got to thank God for Rob and Diane Previty as well. Rob, my diehard Eagles fan, invited me during 2016 to watch the Chicago Cubs playoff runs with him. I think he was hoping for a show, uh, but I know he was cheering for the Cubs as well. He got a show when things were going well and when things were going bad. And I rejoiced the next year, after the Cubs won, they did win, it happened, I rejoiced the next year to see the Eagles finally get to win it with all of you Eagles fans. And I can't name anyone, everyone, because it would be an hour and a half long sermon. Nobody wants that. But many of you have become more than members of a church body for us. You become our family. And that's the promise of God to us. We've shared meals We've celebrated holidays and weddings. We've spent time in celebration. We've also spent time weeping and working through crisis together. We've done ministry together, and you've ministered to us. Right after we got here, we were in the process of adopting our son, and many of you rallied to our side to help us with fundraisers and to give sacrificially. And you've helped us by teaching him in Sunday school 
and by caring for him and at times chastising him as is necessary. And we thank you. We've lived God's promise to his disciples here over the last 12 years. And that lived experience, combined with the promise from God's word, is what comforts us now as God calls us west for me to pastor a new church and a new group of people out in Washington. So over the last two months, so many people have asked us, how can you give up so many comforts to go to such an uncertain situation? You know, our answer is that we trust God's word that he's kept his word. He's kept it before, and he will keep it again. So friends, what is God calling you to give up for service to Christ? His promise to you is that he won't make it easy, but it will be good. You won't be left alone. You may have to leave comforts of family or friends of lands, but he does provide for you. He's provided for you in the church of Jesus Christ. Through that, he promises to provide for you of houses and lands and I can speak of so many who we've enjoyed the fellowship in your home. Uh, Tim and Allie have opened their pool to us, and I think my son learned to swim out of fear of drowning in their pool. It comes through so many blessings in this life, but our promise is not just for this life. It's also a gift of eternal life, something to be received at the end, a gift of eternal life that includes the people of God, as Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. Do you long for heaven? So much of the unrest in our world today is because we long for a heaven in our physical world. The rumblings about injustice and, and wrongs done and hurts done that you see is... Uh, over-realized eschatology, trying to make heaven come to bear on life right now. But the promise is not that it will come right now. The promise is it will come on God's timing. And the promise is even that the blessings of discipleship is not just family and friends and lands and comforts, but that God himself is our comfort. Jesus is our blessing of discipleship. The Father's house, in which there are many rooms, as Jesus says, He's gone and prepared a place for you. And where He is, there you will be also. Keep your eyes on your home. The promise that when you get there, Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. He's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. This new heaven and new earth where God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. No more sin, no more pain, no more heartache. That's why we serve him. That's the promise that's there for us. And yet life is not without its difficulties. Jesus also mentioned persecutions. He says these are with the rewards of following Jesus. And so much over the last year has been spilled about whether mask mandates are persecutions or not. And yet, let me just give you this, that if you feel persecuted, you are promised by Jesus that you will be persecuted for his sake. Count it as a blessing. Those who suffer persecution are blessed. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
So cling to God's promise if you feel persecuted. Remember that he promised it would come. He's just keeping his promise. And it's an opportunity to bless God and to encourage others. Remember also the comfort he's promised of family and inheritance and peace that awaits those who endure with hope. So Jesus concludes, those who are first will be last and the last will be first. In Matthew's gospel, this is followed with a parable of laborers in the vineyard. And after that parable, he then again says, many who are last will be first and the first will be last. And I think this warning to us is that we do not follow Christ as his disciples with a mercenary spirit. Peter asked, what's in it for us as we've given up so much? And that's the wrong question for us to ask. It's not what's in it for us. It's how great is God who has given this to us. See, Christ is your reward. That he who knew no sin became your sin, that you would become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing gift it is. And there's nothing you could suffer that will take that away. There's nothing you could do that would merit that favor. Live in Christ above all else. Put your obedience where your profession is. And yet, brother and sister, if you doubt, I'm calling you to believe in the sufficiency of Christ that is greater than the pleasures of this world. I want to take you back to Rowan and that day that I was speaking with that young man. I also spoke with another young man that day. As that and walked away sad. Another young man came up to me and said, wow, I, I just really was listening to what you said and appreciated your words. We got to speaking. This young man had come from a pagan family. And I don't just mean that in a small p pagan. I mean like big P, Wicca, Quijaboards, psychics, the whole nine, a whole different religious system. We started talking about Christ and his gospel. And pretty soon that began to be an invitation to have lunch together and to start studying the Bible together. And that lunch turned into another one and into another one. And over a long time, this young man came to our church. He'd been through all kinds of different churches and different cults. And when he came, you all welcomed him in and embraced him as a brother. Just last month, Brandon joined our church. And when it came time to take communion, as his family had come to support him, his family of not yet believers, said, time to take communion. Brandon, taking communion for the first time, got up, left the pew with his family, walked over and sat next to me and my family, and we partook of communion together. What a wonderful sign of the promise of God's blessing. If you give up, mother and father and brother and lands, for Christ's sake and for the gospel, he does not fail to give you in this life and the next 100-fold blessings of the same. Whatever the cost of discipleship, whatever our service proves to be long and hard or short and easy, the comforts of discipleship more than make up for it. As the Apostle Paul wrote to us in 2 Corinthians 4, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So friends, may the words of Jesus always remind us of the things that are eternal. 
some to be enjoyed in, in this age even, and others to be realized on that day when we stand before him in heaven. But all good things are promised to us by God and are secured to us by Christ, our faithful Savior and our Lord. So take hold of him by faith and take comfort in nothing less than his salvation and lordship. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we have trusted you to be our Savior, to assure us of your love for us, of our salvation, of our security in Christ because of what he's done for us. We want to take comfort in your Lordship and follow you as we take up our cross daily. Help us to give up what we need to give up, but also to see the multitude blessings which you have given us that aid us in discipleship, that encourage us, that press us on toward the goal for us in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.